You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. I want you to know as a believer, there's overwhelming evidence of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ historically. And one of the greatest places is the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John stands alone. Here's the second thing. Jesus is presented to us from several different points of view. Each different, yet each the same. Each a separate mirror to take in the side presented to it. In your walk with Christ, have you ever considered the importance of the Gospels? We've all read the beginning of the New Testament, but do we consider how it reflects the glory of Jesus? Today, Pastor Jeff explains that the book of Mark is more important than you could ever imagine. It's not just another book that gives an account of the life of Christ. Instead, we need to view it as a window into who Jesus was. Don't just know the life of Jesus. Live out His calling each and every day for the sake of His kingdom. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark, chapter 1, as he begins his message immediately. We're going to read quickly a lot of Bible, 21 verses, but I'm going to go through it quick. Everybody say, I believe it when I see it. I promise. Here it is. We're going to begin looking at the book of Mark, and we're going to journey with Jesus through Mark. So opening Mark 1, I'm going to read these verses, then I'm going to give you some, just a sort of a introduction to the book of Mark, and then we're going to begin following Jesus. How many of you want to follow Jesus? One of the best ways I know is in the Word of God. So let's read it. John the Baptist prepares the way. This is Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John the Baptist is quoting the verses that had to do with him, the Old Testament prophecies. Now, verse 4 tells us John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but what will he do, everybody? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit, the Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now when he came out of the wilderness, it says in verse 14, after John was put into prison, 
Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What did he say, everybody? I don't think most churches would have had Jesus today. Because what's the word he used? Repent and believe in the gospel. I don't think he was into seeker friendly. Some of you don't know what that means. That's all right. Let's go on. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, look what he did. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, what, everyone? Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further uh, from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Left their dad standing in the boat. All right, so it means it when it says immediately. And they left the dad in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. Final verse, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. You know, the devil still comes to church. All right, Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Open our eyes and help us to follow you with all of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just take you on a little bit of introduction about the book of Mark because I want you to know the word of God. Uh, I, think, I think one of the reasons the church is languishing in the West, and it is, is that the, the people don't know the word. People aren't being taught the word. And, and so if I have you smart in anything, I want you to be smart, knowledgeable in the word. Not where you're puffed up and strutting and acting like you're somebody, but because knowledge of the word is knowledge of God. And knowledge of God is freedom and wisdom and victory. So I want to teach you the word. I want you to know it. So here's the book of Mark. Let me give you a little bit of introduction here. The first three gospels are called synoptic. Everybody say that with me? Synoptic. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, synoptic. Which means seen together or a general view or a general view of the whole of a subject. So it's like you get a synopsis on something. If I give you a synopsis on something, I'm giving you a general view of a certain thing. So when we say synoptic gospels, here's what we're talking about. Combined, the gospels present a general and a harmonized view of Jesus' life as distinguished from the gospel of John who writes for Christians as an eyewitness and for a special purpose. The value of the four gospels are this. First, it furnishes Christians with a tremendous variety of testimony concerning Jesus. I want you to know as a believer, there's overwhelming evidence of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ historically. And one of the greatest places is the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John stands alone. Here's the second thing. Jesus is presented to us from several different points of view, each different, yet each the same, each a separate mirror to take in the side presented to it, but all disclosing in lifelike harmony the one grand person named Jesus. 
Even a man cannot be understood when seen from one point of view, how much less the Son of God. You know, if I want to find out about George Dossett, I could ask Michelle and get an earful. But then I could ask somebody who is a good friend of his and get a whole different angle. And then I could talk to his mama. And boy, would I get a different angle there. But do you understand that I would get different viewpoints and different emphases from whoever I spoke with. So the synoptics, including John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us different angles of sort of like when you look at a diamond, it glistens from many different angles depending on how you turn it. You open up this Bible, if you're looking in Mark, or Mark it glistens one way, Matthew another, Luke another, and John another. But they all manifest the multifaceted glory and beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. That's the synoptics, okay? Third, it is this fourfold view that presents Jesus as the Savior of all men, of all races, and of all tendencies of thought. Now, let me just show you the difference of a few. Matthew. Matthew's is the gospel for the Jews, the gospel of the past, the gospel which sees in Christianity a fulfillment of Judaism, the gospel of discourses, the didactic gospel, the gospel which represents Christ as the Messiah of the Jew, as you might find him in Isaiah 9. You will call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Matthew was written to the Jew. His emphasis is Jesus as the man, expressing the kingly and the human characteristics of Christ. Now, the one that we're going to be looking at, Mark, is the gospel for the Romans, the gospel of the present, the gospel of incident, the anecdotal gospel, the gospel which represents Christ as the Son of God and Lord of the world. And what is Mark's emphasis? It is Jesus as the lion servant, expressing courage, servanthood, dignity, and energy. That's Mark. Then you come to Luke, the third synoptic. Luke's is the gospel for the Greeks, the gospel of the future, the gospel of progressive Christianity, of the universality and gratuitousness of the gospel, the historic gospel, the gospel of Jesus as the good physician and the savior of mankind. His emphasis is Jesus as the ox, expressing power and sacrifice, his priestly and intercessory office. That's what you run into in Luke. Now you come to John, and John's is preeminently the gospel for the church, the gospel of eternity, the spiritual gospel, the gospel of Christ as the eternal son and the incarnate word. John begins just like Genesis in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And immediately, John lays before us Jesus as very God. Okay? When somebody gets saved, they say, what, what do I read in the Bible? I always say the gospel of John. I want to get a whole bunch of little pamphlets of just the gospel of, or the, the, the gospel of John. And for those who are being saved in our church, just give them one of those. John is, is what you want to read. Now, John's emphasis is Jesus as the eagle. Because he soars to heaven above the clouds 
of human infirmity, and he reveals to us the mysteries of the Godhead and the joys of eternal life, gazing on the light of immutable truth with a keen and steady eye. That's John. So say it with me, everybody. Jesus the man, the lion servant, the ox, and the eagle. These four together give to us a fully orbed view of Jesus the Messiah. We need every one of them to get a full picture of him. That's why we have the synoptics and John. Now let me give you some quick facts about Mark. The key verse of Mark is, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see Jesus in the book of Mark as the servant over and over again. Mark portrays Jesus as a servant on the move, instantly responsive to the will of the Father. He is seen continuously preaching, teaching, healing. Hence, Mark is known as the action gospel, the action gospel. When you look at Matthew and Luke, you're going to find the teachings of Jesus laid out uh, at length. In Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, repeated in Luke. Uh, long uh, uh, recordings of the teachings of Jesus are in those two. You don't find that in Mark. You find action, action, Jesus on the move. Mark is the shortest and the simplest of the four Gospels. Mark presents a crisp, fast-moving look at the life of Jesus. It reads like a morning newspaper. Unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark omits Jesus' ancestry at the beginning of his book and moves right into his busy public ministry. We don't get the genealogies and who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so and all of that. That's not in Mark. Mark just takes us right into Jesus on the move. Uh, in Mark, Jesus is constantly moving toward a goal, the goal of the cross, the distinctive word of this book is immediately. Once I tell you this, when you read Mark, you're not going to be able to get immediately out of your mind because it's there over and over and over again. If you've got a King James Bible, it's straightway. And straightway, Ron emptied the trash. Can you imagine using straightway? Ron, would you straightway get me a drink? Now, watch this. Uh, and it appears more often in this gospel... 42 times, in fact, than in the rest of the New Testament all put together. Immediately, immediately. It is held by most scholars that uh, Mark was the first gospel written. And Mark's source was none other than who, everybody? How do we know that? Because Mark's mother, Mary, and that's not to be confused with the Mary, his own mother was named Mary, had a large house that was used as a meeting place for believers in Jerusalem. And you remember when, when Peter got delivered from prison by the angel and he went knocking on the door and they didn't believe it was him out there? That was Mark's mama's house. And you know how we know that he had gone there often? Because the servant girl recognized his voice in Acts 12, 13 through 16. It was this close association with Peter that gives the gospel of Mark apostolic authority and I want you to catch that he got what he got from Simon Peter and from the Holy Ghost and he recorded it Peter being one of the twelve 
It gives this book apostolic authority, which is very, very important. Okay? Now, miracles are predominant in Mark. 18 miracles in all are recorded and are used to demonstrate not only the power of Jesus, but also his compassion. And that's it. That's it. So everybody say amen. I'm ready for Mark. And I'm not going to do this through the whole book, but I want to take the first three immediately's because they, they pivot on very, very crucial aspects of the ministry and the person of Jesus in the first chapter. I think I counted eight immediately's in chapter one. Immediately, immediately. But let me look at the first uh, three. The chapter opens up with John the Baptist. Now, I gotta tell you, John the Baptist is, is an eccentric cat. How is it that prophetic people are so eccentric? How many of you have ever known a prophetic person? How many of you can say they were normal? Whatever normal is. How many of you can say they were a little bit, uh huh, mm hmm? Yeah. That's right. Uh, John the Baptist was a little bit eccentric. Uh, he is, uh, he burst on the scene wearing camel's hair, which was, had to be uncomfortable, and eating bugs sweetened with wild honey. You didn't say to John, hey, hand me a locust. Now, in fairness, I got to tell you, in, just to be historically fair, the common people of that day ate locusts as well. And you know what? Arabs do over there now from time to time. Now, I want to tell you, I'd have to be starving to death before I ate a locust. But they do. It's not the best food in the world, but if you need to stay alive, it'll keep you alive. John's demeanor and lifestyle, as, we, as, we, as Mark opens up, and we're, and we're presented John the Baptist. His lifestyle was one of temperance and pover, uh, poverty and penitence. He's so much like Elijah. That's why he was Elijah reborn in essence or reappearing in the New Testament. He was just like him. Elijah and John the Baptist, very much alike. John denied the suggestion that he was the Messiah when he began to baptize people in the Jordan. If you've ever been in the Jordan, I have. And if you ever have a chance to go, go. But that Jordan River is freezing cold. I baptized people in it, and I got baptized in it. And I mean, you come up sort of bobbing because it's cold. But here's John. He's fully immersing people. Now, I want you to understand when the Bible uses the word baptism, baptizo is the Greek word. It doesn't mean sprinkled. It means dunked. If you get baptized here, we put you down, and we get you to quote the Lord's Prayer before you come back up. I'm just kidding. But we do put you all the way down because baptism means to be immersed, not sprinkled. Immersed. So here he is. He's dunking people, and as he dunks them, they're repenting of their sin. But all he was was a trailblazer. He was the one born to go before the Messiah and make straight his path. So he had a divine purpose. The angel is told, had told his father, Zechariah, he's going to be the prophet of the highest, John the Baptist. But he said, I'm not the Messiah. 
He said, when he shows up, here's how you're going to know who he is. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? He's going to fully immerse you in the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sprinkled when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I want to be immersed. And he said, he's going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. That's how you're going to know that he's the one. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit baptizes all of us into the body of Christ. Immersed us. See, it doesn't matter what the denominational tag is. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, you're part of my family. And I'll fellowship with you. Because we have been baptized, all of us, into the body of Christ. But that's another message. When Jesus showed up at the banks of the Jordan, he was baptized by John, who at first said, what are you doing letting me baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And John the Baptist, or Jesus said it to John, no, suffer it to be so that I would fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me, John. Can you imagine if you're John and you've already had the Holy Spirit tell you, that's him. Can you imagine putting down under the water the very son of the living God? Can you imagine how carefully he must have baptized him? And when he came up out of the water, we have our first immediately. It says in verse 10, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting. Greek word there is torn open or rent asunder. Now, I don't know what that means, but when they were looking up into heaven, up at the sky, there was a there was a renting, a tearing asunder, an opening, and from that opening came the Spirit of God. And it descended right over Jesus' head in the form of a dove. Wow. Now, Luke, not Mark, but Luke, adds this, that it was while Jesus prayed that the heaven was open or rent asunder and the Holy Spirit depended, or descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, this is where the value of the synoptics come in. You see, Mark said, as he went under the water and came up. But Luke adds, while he was in prayer. Now, I believe that one of the reasons for that is God doesn't want us to think that getting baptized in water is what got him touched by the Holy Spirit. It was while he prayed. And I believe what the message of the word is is that it wasn't the water, it was the life of Jesus and his obedience to God. It was his overall obedience. And this is why God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was God well pleased? Because his life had been one of perfect obedience. In all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And it was also the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him in preparation for his showdown in the desert. That's what I like to call it. His showdown in the desert with Satan and his ministry afterward. Now, I want to pluck some principles out of these truths, and I want you to catch this. This come, brings us to our second immediately. It says, immediately after the Spirit came upon him, he was driven 
of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. That word driven comes from a Greek word meaning to send out. He was sent out, sent into the wilderness. Do you ever reflect on who Jesus is in your walk with Christ? Have you ever considered the power that you have through the reality of Jesus? Today we learn from Pastor Jeff that the most important thing to master in your faith is simply trusting in who Jesus says he is. No matter how rough your life is going or how troubling your circumstances may be, Jesus will never fail on his promises. Remain true to the cause of Christ and store up your treasures in heaven. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. In his next message, Pastor Jeff illustrates the importance of what it means to be a true Christian. If you truly want to live out your life for the sake of Christ, you need to sacrifice yourself daily in the same way that Christ sacrificed himself for you. It's not enough to merely go through the motions and coast off of your relationship. Be a difference maker for God's kingdom and be intentional in doing everything for the sake of his glory. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Mark next time on Hardwired. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Wickwire, host of the Hardwire broadcast, and I'm so excited to tell you about this month's offer for you, our listeners. For a gift of $40 or more, we want to send you the beautiful new Bible put out by Tyndale called Immerse, the Reading Bible. Our offer contains a beautiful, reads-like-butter New Testament featuring the New Living Translation. The Immerse Bible New Testament contains no chapters, no verses, just like the original manuscripts in which the Bible was written, so that it reads more like a story. It also comes with an eight-week reading plan, maps, and a helpful summary of every New Testament book. So if you want to try a really unique approach to your daily Bible reading, just go to hardwire.org and click Donate Now to give your gift of $40 or more. We'll send you the Immerse Bible immediately. And thanks once again for your support of Hardwire. Every dollar we receive will go toward reaching the world with God's Word.